All right, so 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we begin, as it is written, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in all Israel, the heads of fathers' houses. And Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness, was there. But David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Moreover, the bronze altar that Basilel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, had made was there before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the assembly sought it out. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Uh, an extravagant display of worship is what we see there as we, uh, it, we ended that section of scripture with this extravagant offering, right? A thousand burnt offerings were offered to the Lord. Well, as we consider that, think about how it was that we started this section in verse 1. It was from the very beginning that we see how it was that Solomon was established very well as the king of Israel. He had firm control over the kingdom. He was not only received by the people, but he was made exceedingly great. This was not, by the way, his own doing. Sometimes we... Uh, we look to and we forget as we look to these kings and some of the things that they have accomplished in the name of the Lord and forget that it wasn't in their strength, although they exerted themselves, although they committed themselves, although they devoted themselves and consecrated themselves, they were only great because the Lord made them great. Because the Lord used them at various times and for various reasons to fulfill, to accomplish his will. You know, that's always the way it should be with each other. You know, as we have a tendency to, to lift up the individual, as if they did it on their own and in their own strength, because they had put forth much effort. And yet we know, as we see here in verse 1, it says, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom... And the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. What made Solomon great was not his personal charm or charisma. In fact, he referred to himself as a a child. Because he had no knowledge of how it was that uh, uh, no knowledge of, of leading the people of Israel, no knowledge of, of governing the people of God. So it wasn't his personal charm or his charisma or his amazing knowledge that he had. But it was something that distinguishes you and I from the rest of the world. The presence of God. The fact that the presence of God, God himself is with us. That's what makes all the difference in the world. 
his anointing, his empowerment, his choosing. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, in verse 9, it says, Behold, a son shall be born to you. And this was the Lord speaking uh, to um, David. It says, Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, where his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. If you, if you notice, even in those two verses, it has everything to do with what the Lord was doing for Solomon. He had chosen him to build the temple. He is the one that made the kingdom quiet during his, his reign, who gave him peace. Remember, it was David who gave himself to being used by the Lord, to be used as an instrument to bring forth this peace. But we need to understand, again, was it David that brought this peace? Was it David that quieted the surrounding nations? No, David knew. He was a servant of the Lord. He was, he was someone who gave himself to the Lord, the creator of the universe, to do a work for him, to serve him in the manner in which he did. And so it was with David's son Solomon, how it was that it was through him, it was during his reign that the Lord would give him peace and quiet and chose him to build a temple. His father David had left him all the necessary provisions to build the temple and had transferred power to him as the king of Israel. At this time, the kingdom was very strong and enjoyed peace. And again, the anointing was there given by the Lord. And so he simply acknowledged what the Lord had, had called for Solomon to fulfill. You know, we ought to just simply be in agreement with the Lord. Acknowledging how it is that he is moving, and then come alongside him, follow him, and simply agree. And that's what David did with Solomon. Well, Solomon, as he assumed the reign of Israel, he gathered together all of the nation's leaders, and he addressed them, and they all together made a pilgrimage to the tabernacle that was located at Gibeon to offer sacrifices on the great bronze altar that had been made by Basileel. This was where the tent of meeting was still standing, while at the same time the ark of God had been brought to Jerusalem from Kiriath-Jerim by David, as we have read and we have le- had learned previously. He had built a tent there for the ark of God, and yet the tent of meeting remained at Gibeon. And so it was there that they assembled. It was there that the leaders of the nation went to, and it was there that they offered the burnt offerings. In fact, it was an extravagant, as I said from the very beginning, an extravagant display of worshiping God, offering a thousand burnt offerings. 
This is all for, burnt offerings are to atone. It's to offer for the pleasure of God. And burnt offerings are consumed completely. So it wasn't like any of the 1,000 burnt offerings were left over as some form of communion or fellowship with the Lord. It was completely committed to and given to and offered to the Lord. 1,000 burnt offerings. It was at the tent of meeting that the people of God would meet with God and to dwell with and enjoy fellowship with God. And we need to remember this always. The primary reason to meet together as God's people, as perhaps we consider at this very moment, we think about why it is that we're in this place on this evening. It's not to meet with each other. As it was for them, it wasn't to meet with each other, but with God in the one place that was assigned for them to meet. And in so doing, as you dwell with and enjoy fellowship with God, communing with God, praying, praising, worshiping, confessing, listening to, serving, as we're to gather together to abide with and minister to the Lord, we are doing so with each other. And if our focus is on the Lord, what happens is God can use us in that moment as our hearts and our minds are set in the right perspective. That we are here for the right reasons. That we minister to each other in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. You see, that love for one another cannot be expressed, expressed rightly if you don't first and foremost understand how to love God. You see, Jesus said very clearly, if you love me, keep my commandments. As we gain an understanding of God's word, we, we understand how to more completely and in greater detail and with great wisdom how to honor the Lord because we understand what blesses Him, what pleases Him as we get to know Him. And as we do that, that reflects in how we conduct ourselves within the fellowship of the saints. But we can't do that without first tabernacling with God. In Hebrews, if you will turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I've been saying, keep an eye on the consistency of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even as we consider the fellowship of the saints, we ought to put that to the test. And we will as we take a look at this section of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. You see, God has given us access to Him through Jesus Christ. And so therefore we can enter into the throne of mercy and find help in time of need, right? 
We know that to be true. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water." Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Those verses come before the two verses we commonly refer to as far as the fellowship of the saints. But please, let's pay close attention to what we just read because this is making reference to meeting with, not with each other first, but first of all, understanding that the access that we've been given to beyond the veil is the Lord himself. So think about that. As we, as we come, we're not, what's the mindset? What's the attitude? What's the perspective? What's the purpose of coming? First and foremost, is it to have fellowship with the one to whom you've been given access to? To first and foremost, come to listen, to to hear from Him. To be ministered to as you're praising and adoring Him and worshiping Him. Oh, it puts things in right perspective. Because you, you understand that your purpose is not here to receive from anyone else. You, you are here primarily and singularly to worship God. To praise Him. To offer to Him something that costs you something. Because praise and worship without sacrifices is worthless. Have you laid down your petitions before Him? Have you confessed your sins to Him? The Christian life should be marked every day by a life of repentance. Acknowledging that we've, we've fallen short. And Lord... Please help me. In this very moment, I humble myself before you. As you do that, oh, our fellowship afterwards. Tonight we enjoy a barbecue afterwards and we'll have fellowship. That fellowship is much different when you've, when you've uh, really done your business with the Lord. When you've come with the right perspective. When you've come to worship Him and adore Him and praise Him and, and listen for His word. For his spirit to give you understanding in what is true, what is sound. And then, and then we get to verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day Drawing near. To place to. Expect to. Hear from the Lord and. To bless him to honor him to adore him. Corporately. And then to serve God in one place with each other and encouraging each other in this is what we have here. 
consistency as we see throughout Scripture, how, how it is that God's people comes together. And what, what is it that gives us access to the Lord? Well, they offered a thousand burnt offerings. You know what that is. The bottom line is this. It's atoning for their sins. We have one that atoned for our sins. And that's why we can come and we can, we can tabernacle with, with him. We can enjoy that fellowship with the Lord because of his atoning sacrifice. So for Solomon and Israel's leaders, their first order of business was the right one. It was go to the tent of meeting and there offer to God burnt offerings, worshiping God, acknowledging the necessity of sacrifice to atone for sins, as I said, and prepare for what the, what the Lord had for them and the nation. Oh, we would hope that perhaps as, as leaders of the local churches, the fellowship, that, that the leaders would first and foremost come to the Lord with all humility and make sure that for them, for the leadership, that there's clean hands, pure hearts, there, there's nothing that is lingering, no sin that has not been attended to. For Solomon and the rest of the, the nation's leaders, they came and, and they did what was right. They started off by going and offering these burnt offerings and worshiping the Lord. If you consider Sunday services, it's not only consistent with Scripture as the early Christians would meet on the first day of the week, but also a fitting preparation for the people of God to prepare for the week by serving God and offering oneself once more to Him in complete devotion and consecration. You know, that's what should mark the, the believer as you come through the doors. It's, it's not to come here a, um, some motivation and to, to pump you up for the week. That, that's not the reason for a Sunday. If you want that, perhaps you can travel to Texas and listen to Joel Osteen. Or someone like that. But if you, have, if you go to church and that's what you're going for. And you never ever feel like. Have a sense discerned that there's some conviction. There's some work that's going on deep inside your own heart. But is only motivating you to do more of life. And fulfill your goals and your dreams and your visions then I have to tell you, you're probably at the wrong place. Because we know that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it does surgery. It goes deep down, and it exposes things, not for God to know, because He knows everything. He is omniscient. You know that, right? He is omniscient. He knows all things. So it's obviously not for His knowledge or for him to do something about it, it's for you to do something about it. He opens us up and he shows us what is not of him. And that's what should, in moments, happen during service to where the Lord, in his word and by his spirit, convicts us, he rebukes us, he admonishes us. He instructs us. He also, of course, builds us up in the midst of that. And that's the whole purpose of that. He wants us to mature into believers that walk in the wisdom of God 
knowing his word and how to apply it to his glory. And that is beyond being saved. So every Sunday, every Wednesday, it should be an offering of oneself completely to him. Being living sacrifices, offerings to the Lord, thinking about this, consecrating ourselves unto him. To hear from him, to be further equipped by his word and encouraged and stirred up by the word in God's people to love and good works. Enjoying fellowship with God, with others, and others as we submit to the authority of God's word and mature in it, growing in wisdom and discernment. Well, Solomon and Israel's leaders go to the tabernacle, to tabernacle with God, and offer sacrifices of atonement. We see this as a a great cost, but it was to glorify the Lord. As we continue, we see how it is that Solomon prays for wisdom. And again, we've covered this, and I'll, I'll give you a reference. Perhaps you have notes on it, or you can remember it was covered in 1 Kings chapter 3. But let's read. First, or 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7 says, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you. And have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings uh, who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon began, and this was, as we think about 1 Kings chapter 3, we know that it was, he had uh, been asleep, and he, he, in this dream, in this vision, this is how the Lord spoke to him. It was in this time and in this way. But he was approached by and addressed and confronted by God. And in that, Solomon remembered and acknowledged God's love and faithfulness toward his father. As he had walked with the Lord in faithfulness, doing all that God wanted him to do. And in righteousness and uprightness of heart toward God. Solomon acknowledged that God had provided David with a son to sit on the throne of Israel. He acknowledged that. He understood He confessed it, just as God had promised, and so it was. And there he stood. There was Solomon. 
need to notice that Solomon didn't state that he had done anything to deserve, deserve the throne. But he acknowledged the Lord his God as having made him king in the place of his father. With that, he was confessing it was all God's doing. No matter what we give ourselves to in the service of God, we ought to think the same way. And acknowledge that it is nothing we have done to deserve where, when, and how we serve the Lord. But that He has placed us in that position to serve at His good pleasure and by His grace. And therefore we serve the Lord humbly and with great joy. We truly acknowledge ourselves and, and confess that we serve it at His pleasure. Whatever it may be. And therefore, we are, we are grateful. We are grateful for whatever we can do for the Lord. It makes a difference. Psalm 84.10 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. It, it helps us to put things in the right perspective to where we can say that with great confidence. Psalm 84.10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the, in the tents of wickedness. So Solomon, with what he was saying, humbled himself and confessed that his wisdom and understanding was what he needed. As we think about what, he, uh, what the details that we read in First. Kings chapter 3, he referred to himself as, as a little child, as, as someone who had no knowledge whatsoever, lacked understanding, which was necessary in order to lead God's people. And that's what he referred to them as, God's people. He was in desperate need of God's help. He humbled himself before God and sought his help. But of course, as I said before, False humility would say, I can't do this. I'm inadequate. Choose someone else because someone else can do this better than me. Uh, probably. Wh whatever it is that we're doing, someone else could probably do it much better than you can, much better than I can. You see, it's all about how we look at things. Because you have been chosen to serve him in whatever capacity he's chosen you to serve him in. Therefore, if you are faithful, because what is it that pleases and honors the Lord? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 11.6. He's not looking for someone who is, oh, this person's amazing, and so therefore, obviously, this person is the one that God is going to select for such and such a position to serve him in. Well, remember, as we even thought about Samuel, how it was that as Samuel was going to select the next king of Israel, the Lord told him, hey, don't, don't look. See, the man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And so it's a different perspective. It's the right perspective. God has a place for you. So false humility would say, I can't do this. Choose someone else. 
Well, even Esther was warned, if you don't rise up, rise to the occasion, then salvation will come from somewhere else. The Lord's will will be done. Perhaps with this statement, we can even come off as knowing better than God. By telling him that he was wrong in picking you and that he should go look elsewhere. Go look somewhere else. But true humility before God says this, I I know I can't do this without, without you. And therefore, I am in desperate need of your help. I will cling to you. Use me however you will. You get all the glory. And I, can, I know that all things are possible with you. I reference 1 Corinthians chapter 1 often. Semi-often. I, every now and then. But it's a, it's a good reference to think about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's all for him, by him. And so therefore, let us have the right perspective. Solomon had the right perspective. He knew he couldn't lead God's people who were numerous. These were God's people. He couldn't do it without God's help. He couldn't do it without God's equipping without God empowering him and anointing him, ordaining him to do this very work. And he asked for one thing. He asked for an understanding mind. As we consider 1 Kings chapter 3, and then as we look at Second Chronicles chapter 1, he's asking with that, an understanding mind is this, wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and and knowledge, not worldly wisdom, not worldly philosophies, but the wisdom and knowledge that comes from God. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, according to First Peter chapter one, verse three. Well, again, we see a consistency throughout Scripture. It's the same in the day of Solomon as it is today. True wisdom and knowledge, an understanding mind, is found. In the mind of Christ. And the very word of God. There is nothing that he could have asked for. That would have been better than this. Proverbs chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 says. Take my instruction instead of silver. And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire. Cannot compare with her. Solomon was not asking for wisdom for his personal gain, but in order that he may govern God's people, being able to discern between good and evil. That was what he desired. Lord, give me wisdom and discernment, knowledge, an understanding mind, so that I may be able to discern between what is good and what is evil. In all circumstances, he would be able to, 
to lead the people in a way that brought glory to the Lord. Again, this is given to us by God through his word, and as his spirit gives us understanding. To apply the wisdom God gives us, we must have courage to ask the right questions, consider all facts, and make sound decisions according to God's word, which is his will. We must also have the courage to follow through with the godly wisdom that we have come to possess, come what may. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, as Solomon asks, in that he himself submits to the knowledge of God. Solomon humbly asks for God to give him wisdom and knowledge for the sake of governing God's people well. And Solomon refers to himself as God's servant, even though he is the king of Israel. Solomon submits himself to be governed by God, so Solomon can govern God's people rightly. And likewise, pastors and leaders need godly discernment and courage to follow through with God's word to lead lead God's people faithfully, governed by God so that they themselves can govern God's people according to God's word. If the person in it, if you look to someone, if someone is is helping you, encouraging you, discipling you, and you desire to be governed by God, to be led by God, to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, make sure that that person themselves are governed by God, His Word. If not, find someone who is governed by God, who does follow God's Word, because that's a person worth being encouraged by, and even following as they follow Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. There are those that God has placed around you that are worth giving yourself to in that you give yourself to being encouraged, uh, encouraged by them, being held accountable by them, and helping you grow or mature in Christ. In fact, I'm... Reminded of one thing that had read this earlier. This is the one thing that the Apostle Paul gave himself to. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. You know what the the Apostle Paul, as, as you look, even at those two verses, he says, I gave myself in toil, that is, agonized, for the maturity of the believers in sound doctrine. I gave myself completely to that. If someone has given themselves completely to maturing in Christ, growing in Christ, to be disciplined in Christ. That is someone that should be welcomed and should serve as someone who encourages you in your own walk. If they are governed by God, 
then be encouraged by them to be governed by God as well. Well, Solomon, that's exactly what he was asking for. As he submitted himself to the governing of God, so he himself, with all wisdom and knowledge, could govern God's people. And God answered Solomon in verses 11 and 12. Saying, God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who ever who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So he answered Solomon. God was just as pleased with what Solomon had asked for as he was with what he had not asked for. Not only did God give Solomon a wise and discerning mind, but God also gave Solomon riches and honor. And they would exceed any other king before him and that would come after him. There's no one that will compare to the riches and possessions and honor that Solomon had known. God said he would add years to Solomon if he would keep God's word and walk in his ways. And and God said this directly to Solomon. God's promise was set and nothing could change it. You know, when you understand God's faithfulness, you can sing that song, uh, all of God's promises are yes and amen, right? Right? We can proclaim that. We can declare that with 100% certainty when we realize that God is faithful. His word is true. It is certain. It'll come about. That's it, period. And so, therefore, we we can declare God's word with great confidence, with boldness, and know that it is true. Well, God said these things directly to Solomon. God's promises were set, and nothing could change those promises. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Those things that are necessary, those things that are good, those things that are right. In Matthew 19, 26, it says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So the question for us is, do we believe this? Do we believe that With man, this is impossible, and that is salvation. But with God, all things are possible. God's word is true. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. A man by the name of Martin Selman said this, The problem for many Christians then is not whether they will receive anything when they ask, but whether they will ask at all, close quote. What do we ask for? Do we ask for the right things? Those things that are according to God's will. Do we ask for that? See, we can't put God in a box. We can't limit a limitless God. We must believe that he can, even when we're inclined, inclined to believe in limitations Because nothing limits God, because nothing can. No one can. No circumstances can. We simply need to abide in God's will and 
walk with great confidence and joy, knowing that his promises are indeed yes and amen. And so we submit to him, we yield to him, he equips us. So God was greatly pleased with Solomon's request. I, I, I desire wisdom and knowledge to govern your people. He was pleased with what he didn't ask for, riches and honor. And the heads of those that hated him. Um, we, uh, we ought not be preoccupied with those people that we dislike or that dislike us, more importantly. We shouldn't be preoccupied with them. That's a, that's a distraction. We should be preoccupied with our, our love, expressing that, our love for God and serving Him and honoring Him. Verse 13 is, again so, says, So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Let's continue, verse 14. Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, and the king's traders would buy them from Kew for a price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Likewise, through them, these were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Well, as we see here, uh, Solomon had great wealth. God delivered on his promise. Solomon was made rich in possessions and precious materials like none other. God also delivered on his promise to equip Solomon with wisdom that was unmatched. There is nothing wrong, by the way, with possessions or wealth, so long as your heart is not set upon earthly riches. Solomon did not follow God's word, though, in avoiding the accumulation of horses. That was very clear uh, for kings not to do in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16. He also did not avoid the, the, uh, the warning and the command to not accumulate wives and concubines. In fact, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So, he didn't listen to that as well. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, just so we're, we're familiar with this. This, is, this was the command uh, concerning... Israel's kings. Verse 14 says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in it. Read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That is, his heart 
may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. But, as I said, he, he at some point violated the very commands that the Lord had given for kings. We also understand that the rich are to pay special attention of the potential to transfer their joy, satisfaction, and contentment from Jesus to possessions and money. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7, it says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane, profane the name of my God. Interesting, who wrote Proverbs? Any guess? Okay, we'll start from the beginning. It was Solomon, right? Wasn't it Solomon? Wrote the Proverbs. First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on this, the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Interesting, the future. What is in the future of those who have placed their trust in Christ? Glory, right? Heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 say, say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You serve one or the other. You can't serve both. So these are very specific instructions and commandments and it's the reality of what can happen to the person who has many possessions, has a fat bank account, and is looking to that for satisfaction, contentment, peace, and overall joy. And from what we just read, whether it be Proverbs, First Timothy, Matthew, and we look, can look at other places to where the Apostle Paul had learned in whatever state he was in to be content with the Lord knowing that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him, it was in reference to being content with Christ 
no matter what the situation or circumstance was that he was in. Because it's riches and the serving of riches that can draw us away from the love of God, our love of God. Just remember, many educated rationalizations have led to foul and detestable disobedience. In other words, we can, we can in our minds seem very rational and it can seem very justifiable why it is that we would do what we're doing knowing that it's simply an excuse to compromise and it leads down the path of disobedience. Perhaps it was the lucrative export business of horses that led Solomon to accumulate horses. In the moment, hey, it was an educated rationalization that led to foul and detestable disobedience. We do know that small compromises led to the great fall of Solomon. You see, this was an exchange with Egypt. Solomon ended up marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon ended up marrying many foreign wives. Solomon ended up building these high places for these foreign wives to practice their idolatry. And eventually, Solomon compromised and worshipped their gods. Think about that. A man who had given himself to the Lord and to the building of the temple, and yet because he compromised in what God told him not to do, he led down this path of dis- he was led down this path of disobedience that led to detestable things, idolatry. Careful what you attempt to justify. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Now Solomon proposed to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a, a royal palace for himself. And Solomon assigned 70,000 men to bear burdens and 80,000 to quarry in the hill country and 3,600 to oversee them. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, the king of Tyre, as you dealt with David, my father, uh, and sent him cedar to build himself a house to dwell in. So deal with me. Behold, I am about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God and dedicate it to him for the burning of incense of sweet spices before him and for the regular arrangement of the showbread and for burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the appointed feasts of the Lord our God as ordained forever for Israel. The house that I am to build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? So now send me a man skilled to work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue fabrics, trained also in engraving, to be with the skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Send me also cedar, cypress, and algum timber from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut timber in Lebanon, And my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance. For the house that I am to build will be great and wonderful. I will give for your servants the woodsmen who cut timber 20,000 cores of crushed wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. 
So, of course, David may have uh, provided everything for Solomon to build the temple, but ultimately Solomon had to choose and purpose to follow through with the task. And as we see, he did. Not only did he purpose to build the temple, but also an amazing palace for himself. So the king's palace. Solomon gave himself to other endeavors as king, but his greatest achievement is noted here in Second Chronicles, and that is the building of the temple. The very place where God's people would gather to worship the Lord. The greatest work is that which glorifies the Lord. Second to none. To facilitate, to encourage, to build up for the sake of following and honoring and glorifying and serving the Lord. To worship him, to adore him, to praise him. What we read here is the description of the enormity of the work involved in the building of the temple. And then Solomon appealed to Hiram, the king of Tyre. Tyre is located in what we would know today as a coastal city in Lebanon. And so just north of Israel. And so he appealed to Hiram, the king of Tyre, as an ally that David had secured. And also someone who had helped with materials. And now Solomon was asking to provide skilled labor to help. And specific lumber to build with, telling him that their people could work together in gathering and preparing the materials. But he was, if you notice, he asked for someone who could lead in all of this. And it was incredible. He had to know how to basically finish a project. How to oversee the multitudes in all of the different disciplines. It was interesting. But he asked for... Someone who was incredibly talented, and he got it. The way Solomon described his God was important. You see, he knew that a temple, the building, could not contain God. He confessed that. He knew God couldn't be confined to the space. It was to serve him and his people's worship of him. He says, what what can we do? We can't contain him. We can't confine him. It should simply serve as a place to come and make offerings to him, to worship him, to commune with him, to adore him, where they would confess and know the atonement of sin and receive it for themselves. Solomon was asking for the best of everything, lumber, the best of craftsmen to select the best handle, the, handle the, the lumber in the best manner they possibly could, cut the lumber in the best way, uh, just select everything. Everything had to be the best. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that we do for the Lord is to be the best. Think about how and what you're offering to the Lord at any given moment. Is it truly your best? If you're first and foremost worshiping him, is it your best? The best for God, always. No leftovers, no second best. And whatever it is that I could do, he'll be pleased with that. Is that the attitude? Is that... Is that the way we approach and serve the Lord? 
unprepared. If I come, I come. If I don't, I don't. Can you be relied upon? Are you trustworthy? Are you a team player? Or can you come together and, and serve the Lord, giving him the best? Whether it's in children's ministry, being prepared for the lesson to teach these little children. Whether it be ushering. Are you prepared spiritually? Have you come before the Lord? Are you coming to serve him and God's people in a way that is fitting? You're, you're serving the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. No leftovers, no second best, only the best. Verse 11, this is the response of King Hiram, then Hiram, the king of Tyre, answered it in a letter that he sent to Solomon. Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son, who has discretion and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Now, we don't know um, if Hiram actually was genuine in his faith, um, to the God of David and Solomon. But Hiram did respect David's God. And so he respected David's son and the work that he had given himself to. Hiram also acknowledged the work, the purpose of the work, and the king who was leading the work, that is Solomon, along with his home, the king's palace. You know, Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Oh, how often has God used unbelievers to advance his will? As often as he wills. He is sovereign. He is the Lord. Verse 13, as we continue, Hiram's response. Now, I have sent a skilled man who has understanding, Huram Abi, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyre. He is trained to work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and wood, and in purple, blue, and crimson fab fabrics, and fine linen, and to do all sorts of engraving and execute any design that may be assigned him with your craftsmen, the craftsmen of my Lord, David your father. Now therefore, the wheat and barley oil and wine, of which my Lord has spoken, let him send to his servants, and we will cut whatever timber you need from Lebanon and bring it to you in rafts by sea to Joppa so that you may take it up to Jerusalem. So Hiram accepted Solomon's request, sent Huram Abi, who was a highly skilled craftsman. Everything that he asked for was found in this gentleman. Amazing, right? He could do anything and everything regarding construction. This man had a Gentile father and a Jewish mother from the tribe of Dan, as we read, and Hiram accepted Solomon's offer of payment and agreed to send whatever timber he needed via Joppa. And then from Joppa, they could transport it um, by land to Jerusalem. Uh, so Joppa is a coastal city of Israel. And so from there, they could take it inland. So with this, we need to understand that Hiram was not offering anything as a sacrifice. And, and it wasn't an offering to God. He agreed for the set amount. Hey, Solomon, what you said, yeah, go ahead and send that over, and then we'll send you whatever it is that you need. And by the way, this, this man is going to come and help you in the way in which you have asked for help. We also need to consider the fact that anyone who will only give to God in service or any other necessary manner because of what they will receive or get in return, whether money, position, fame, that's what they're looking for, power, 
or the need to be, and this is how we need to put it, affirmed, valued, acknowledged. In the end, if those are the payments that we're looking for, and that's the only reason and the only way that we'll serve him, then we're not really serving God. Although that person may be used to further God's desired will. That person themselves. It's not a problem with God. It's not a problem with the work. It's a problem with the person's heart. Are you simply serving God? Are you offering yourself? No matter what. Has he not done enough for you? The answer should always be a resounding yes. He's done enough. I owe him everything. He doesn't owe me anything more. I don't need any acknowledgement. I don't need any affirmation. I don't need anyone to encourage me. I simply want to serve the Lord. And I find great joy and contentment in doing that. And I will give him my best. Because the person who does it for any other reason is no different than King Hiram of Tyre. Will only do it because, well... They've been offered a payment in return. Well, the temple was built, but he wasn't benefiting beyond the payment he received. And let's close. Verse 17. Then Solomon counted all the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census of them that David his father had taken. And there were found 153,600. 70,000 of them he assigned to bear burdens. 80,000 to quarry in the hill country. And 3,600 as overseers. To make the people work. You know, Isaiah 56, 7 says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All nations were involved in the construction of the temple. The very place where God says would be a house of prayer for all nations. And I'll close with this. I'm going to read in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to visit to to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's you and I. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, whether Gentile or Jew, Lord, we are your people, not because of flesh and blood, not because of genealogy, not because of what tribe we come from. Lord, it has everything to do with simply believing and trusting in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. For he's the one that made the way that gives us access to you. And so with that, Lord, we we have the hope of heaven. And Lord, one day we will be in all of your glory. But let us serve you today. Lord, with a hearts of gratitude, Lord. That we would be given to you. That everything that we do would be an offering to you. That it would be pleasing to you as we do so in faith. With great love for you. And so Father, again we thank you Lord. For the love that you first demonstrated to us. 
by sending your son to die on the cross and by knowing salvation through him. Everything else, Lord, again, may it be a response to that in the manner in which we conduct ourselves. Studying your word, gaining in wisdom and knowledge, and then understanding how to please you through the obedience of your word. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.